0: Much of what we've been able to achieve through the Candid Frame has been a result of your kindness and support. You have been a regular listener, and you've helped to spread the word. And it was through your generous contributions that we were able to create the Candid Frame app and make it available to everyone for free. You can continue to support the work we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help to meet our costs of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. This is Ibarian X and this is The Candid Frame. If there is a fantasy that those of us who have worked in a cubicle share, it's the dream of traveling around the world from country to country making photographs. I'm not talking about that occasional vacation abroad, but rather living out of a suitcase, camera and passport in hand. For many, the idea remains a wonderful daydream, but for a few, it's a lifestyle. Ralph Velasco has been living that way since the last time we talked to him on the show. He's been leading photo tours for over a decade, creating cultural experiences for the people who attend them. But when he decided to give up his apartment, he started a new part of his journey as a traveler, a photographer, and a business person. Well, Ralph, welcome back to The Candid Frame. It's a pleasure to to talk with you. It's been a while since I've had a chance to talk or see you. So uh, happy, happy 2018.
1: Hey, thanks. Really nice to be here. I appreciate uh, you having me on the show.
0: So you're a traveling fiend, man. You're all over the place. So where were some of the places you went in 2018? I mean, 2017.
1: Boy, well, I had a pretty full year. I uh, usually do the, the domestic travel shows in the first quarter. And then I had a Cuba trip. Uh, I did Morocco, the Baltic States, so Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. And then I kind of took the summer uh, to create this new online course that I'm working on. And then I went to uh, Romania, scouted Bulgaria. I did an India trip and then a Cambodia trip. and then I spent some time in Sri Lanka, and that got me through the end of the year.
0: Wow, well, I think uh, it's been a couple a while ago, but at some point you had uh, and uh, you had stopped having sort of a, a dedicated home to live in because you were traveling so much. I think it was the last time I talked to you. That was maybe four years ago now? Is Yeah, right? it's,
1: it's been uh, at least four years, I think, coming up. Then I've been uh, what's come to be called location independent. Yeah. Which is a, a nice way of saying homeless, but, <laughs> but in a good way. And I, I don't want to make light of people that are actually homeless, but I... Yeah, I gave up uh, 90% of the things that I owned. I got rid of everything, just minimized and decided, you know, I'm on the road nine months out of the year. Why am I spending rent 12 months when I'm there for three months, just a couple weeks at a time? Mm-hmm. So I finally got smart and got rid of my apartment in Southern California. And now I kind of live on the road. Yeah.
0: So what was the most surprising thing about making that choice?
1: Well, probably <laughs> how easily I, I I slid right into it and how I... I guess I didn't think that I would miss my stuff too much. Uh, you know, I remember the exact moment when I decided that I should do this. I was on a scouting trip in Spain in 2012, and i was uh, been on about a two-and-a-half-month trip at that point, which is pretty standard for me. I usually hit the road for two or three months at a time. and uh, you know, I'm walking around Toledo and dragging my big checked bag, and I've got my one carry-on bag. And, you know, here I was gone for two and a half months and thinking, do I really need those 600 CDs I have at home and those 500 books and all that stuff? And, you know, I I just decided that it didn't make sense. And so I was you know able to get rid of it fairly easily. And uh, so I think it's just the fact that I was able to kind of carry on without any issues whatsoever and i slid right into this life now fairly fairly easily
0: what did you what did you come to find were the essential things that you that you absolutely needed to have i mean obviously you have your computer you have your camera you have your clothes but were the other things that you found that you know as part of you know my overall life that there are just certain things that uh, i just need to have regardless of where i am in the world
1: yeah. You know, I, I operate my business from wherever I am. And like you say, laptop would be essential. Uh, certainly my phone, which uh, you know, I'm doing more and more business on lately. I just uh, graduated to the iPhone 10. So that's been a little bit of a learning curve, but uh, I don't usually like to do a whole lot of business on my phone, but uh, so I must have a laptop. What else? You know, kind of something funny that I I like to take with me all the time is a pair of slippers.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it kind of gives me a sense of home. And if uh, you know if I'm in a, like a hotel room where maybe the floors are not carpeted or something, uh, I like to have my, my tootsies warm. So I've got my, sand, my uh, slippers that I take with me and they, they, they don't take up much room, but they give me a little bit of a sense of home.
0: You know, you lead all these tours, so you're always with different groups of people, you know, when, wherever you're going. But, you know, one of the things that uh, well, when my wife uh, experienced it when she was doing uh, a lot of traveling for the one of the jobs that she had uh, during uh, some years ago was the idea of it can be kind of lonely living out of a suitcase, shelling from one place to another place and not really being connected to anything. Did you experience that even though you were interacting with people all the time? <laughs>
1: You know, I uh, it, it is a lonely thing. Uh, it's a lonely life. I, it seems like I'm either with a group that I'm, you know, leading a tour with, or I'm on my own. Or sometimes I'm, uh, I am scouting and I'm with my local guide or my local tour operator. But uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, meals on my own or time in my hotel room on my own. And I don't know if it's any more than you might. Have if you, you know, if I, if I had my own apartment and I do like my alone time, but it, maybe it's a little bit exaggerated when you think that you're in a hotel and you're in these wonderful places and, uh, and maybe you are by yourself. And it, it just seems like sometimes it's a little bit more than you might normally be. Uh, I'm a fairly outgoing, uh, you know, if I'm it's, it's fairly easy to meet people on the road, but uh, I do like my alone time as well. So how many um, how many tours did you do last year? I think I did eight or nine uh, organized trips with groups and then probably two or three scouting trips.
0: So has that been pretty much consistent over the last uh, the last four or five years since you decided to you know not have it a permanent place? did you, have, you know how have you sort of tried to balance out the number of times that you're on the road and traveling with with the groups as opposed to just having time that you can just dedicate to you know managing the business and helping create those opportunities.
1: Well, I I'm probably on the road even more now that I've gone location independent because uh, I felt like I felt obligated to go back to my apartment in between trips uh, when it made sense because i'm always trying to be very efficient with how i schedule my trips so i might do uh, india cambodia and vietnam which are all in the same region over a two-month period so those trips would be back to back and those trips are typically two weeks long and in between i might have five to seven days uh, to allow me to get to the next destination kind of settle in Uh, break down from the previous trip uh do my expenses things like that uh take all my notes where i'm you know seeing what we did right what we could have done differently gets uh, feedback from our clients and then build up to the next trip and so if anything i'm probably traveling more now
0: i'm sure that a lot of people take the tours think of your lifestyle and think about how wonderful it is right You know, and it's like, oh, you're so lucky to be doing this all the time. But, you know, when when you with the how how many years have you been doing this now?
1: It's it'll be 10 years full time in September.
0: Okay, so, you know, for people who've never done this but had the fantasy of doing it, what kind of person does it take to to be able to do that? Especially, you know, living locationally independent the way you are.
1: Well, you know, uh, I, I'm single, I don't have uh, any family, children, I've never been married, so it's much easier for someone like myself than uh, someone who's married, has children, uh, you know, has uh, established family that they, they need to consider. Uh, I don't have to consider that. So uh, if, if you're someone that's going to bring your spouse or family on the road, I suppose you could do it. But uh, you know, people think that I'm on vacation nine months out of the year that I'm traveling internationally. And uh, I, although I'm in some of the most incredible destinations in the world, I, I'm certainly working. My, my office is the world, and so I'm extremely lucky about that. But uh, you know, I, I, I think it's the rare person that's able to travel 100 percent of the time, or even uh, about 75 percent of the time that I do. Uh, So it just depends on what your obligations are and your affinity for travel. And, uh, you know, you've got all the positive parts of travel that go along with it. But then, of course, there are the negative parts, too, that are uh, sort of multiplied with, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, waiting in lines, running around airports and things like that.
0: So you've been doing it for 10 years. So how has traveling changed for the for for the better and you know, what things have been made more difficult?
1: Well, you know, over the last 10 years, uh, social media has come a long way. I mean, I think Facebook was founded in 2005 and really didn't start hitting in maybe 2007, seven, eight. So it's it's been about as long as I've been traveling full time that... Uh, you know, we've had social media, so that helps with uh, keeping up with people, with being able to advertise uh, my trips, being able to uh, talk about them, share, share images, and uh, keep in touch with my following while on the road. But, but there's also uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of apps that have come out that make travel easier, uh, finding things to do, being able to check in online. You know, every airline, hotel, et cetera, has their own apps for for doing these things, making that easier. So, uh, you know, being able to check maps from your cell phone when you're on the road. Uh, The other thing, uh, if I could make a recommendation, uh, this is not a sponsor or anything, but I use uh, T-Mobile for my uh, my cell phone service, Mm -hmm. and uh, they've got a great international plan that. Allows me to uh, to almost feel like I'm domestic in the states with regards to making calls, texting, being able to surf the web, uh, and it's very very reasonable. I my price cost of my plan actually went down when I went to this much more robust. Um, I had moved from AT and T to T Mobile and uh, the cost had gone way down, and now I can use my phone in almost every country that I travel to as if I were domestic, and it doesn't cost me anything extra, which is huge
0: you know I, I always encounter those issues when we travel abroad mm-hmm. you know i'm always concerned in terms of the phone bill and how to negotiate that and the internet i mean we're so reliant on those things especially when we're, we're away from home to be able to check in you know like the hotel check out what's happening with the flight find out what's happening at home you know in terms of staying connected the the uh, is the phone be the, the one uh, way that you sort of rely on for internet, or are you, you know, are you looking for places like internet cafes where you are in order to be able to get? A reliable internet, because everyone promises internet, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's reliable.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, I don't do too many internet cafes unless I feel like I want to get out of the hotel room and uh, just get a little uh, change of scenery. But for the most part, I'll I'll work in my room if, if, I, if that's available otherwise when i'm when i'm moving around and i do have service which is probably 80 90% of the time i can do some things on my phone although i don't like to do a whole lot of uh, you know real hardcore web searching on the phone itself it's just you know it's just a smaller device and i prefer to be on the computer but uh, you know the, the ho- most of the hotels that i go to have uh, very reliable internet access and Uh, I I do most of that work in the room.
0: You know, one of the places that you were taking tours uh, to in our first talk with you was to Cuba. And a lot of stuff has changed. During the Obama administration, it was opened up. And now under the Trump administration, some of there have been some restrictions put on it. But nevertheless, during that time period, there has been an explosion of interest uh, and travel by U.S. citizens to, to Cuba. How did all of that sort of change your experience and what you were doing with your, your, your tours.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, doing trips to Cuba now since 2010 and I uh, will be leading another trip this March and that will be my 17th group trip to Cuba. So I've been there quite a few times. I used to go up to four times a year. Uh, Now I go maybe once or twice and it's uh, it, it, this last trip I did last year uh, I was not sure if I was going to do Cuba anymore because it was getting somewhat harder to to bring groups down there, uh, even under a fully licensed, organized program, which is the only kind of trips that I do. Uh, but I had a couple clients that say, "Come on, Ralph, do you know, do one more trip, one more trip? You know, I can put a group of six people together." And so I'm like, "Okay, we'll do one more." and uh, I decided to uh, change it from where we aren't staying in a hotel, but in what are called casas particulares, and these are rooms in the homes of people that have been licensed by the Cuban government to rent them out, and we even went one step further where we have got a three-bedroom apartment, which takes up the whole floor of one of the high-rise apartments buildings there, and we take two or three floors depending on how many people are on our trip. And uh, it's three bedrooms, each has their own individual bathroom. Then there's a common living room, kitchen, and each floor has its own maid that makes breakfast for everyone that morning. And so that is something that uh, I was finding that the hotels were getting uh, getting worse and worse, not better and better. Mm. And the the real high-end hotels, were getting blocked up years in advance by the big boys, the big companies that can you know, guarantee rooms and put down big deposits. And so that was one reason I didn't want to lead any more trips, because the hotels were getting worse and uh, it was harder to get into them anyway. So now that we found this alternative with the Casas Particulares, which is a great experience, uh, and the, the one that we're using is a fantastic location, uh, plus I've got a really great guide. And now, uh, you could always fly down with a charter flight. Um, I've flown direct from LAX to Havana, uh, mostly we go through Miami though, we, the, the group meets in Miami and then we fly together, uh, and uh, those were always with charter flights and on American Airlines equipment with American Airlines crew, but they were charters. So you couldn't go to the American Airlines website and check in and change your seat or you know get a confirmation or anything. So that was a part of it that was a big, big hassle. And uh, now that we can do that, plus they've opened up a new part of the airport down there to fly into, uh, so th- it's not as chaotic with uh, all these groups coming into this one small terminal. Uh, So these are things that are getting better down there. And so I'm much more open to continuing to do trips there as opposed to, I I was gonna, you know, kind of sit it out and see what happens. But uh, other than, you know, people being able to travel down there individually, which uh, Obama opened up for people, uh you, you know i can still bring groups down there under a licensed program
0: was the experience with the with the cuban people made different because you know of this all the waves of people that were coming in there now did you find that the dynamic changed in terms of you and the people that you took there is relationships with with the people there
1: uh, i think the you know the locals have always been uh, they they say that the cubans are the most pro american people in latin america and, and i and i agree with that they're very very open to uh they, they love to meet americans um they love to to meet our groups and and we're not always all u.s citizens that go down sometimes i have other people from other countries but um the people have always been very open really it's a very safe country which a lot of people don't realize extremely safe so we still have uh, many of the same people-to-people experiences where, uh, to me, travel is about the locals. And so I do my best to get my people uh, to meet the locals, whether it's in Cuba where it's required, because that's what the you know, sort of the definition of a people-to-people program is, is to, uh, you know, the U.S. government saying we're going to allow you to go down there, but it has to be a you know an intercultural exchange. They don't want us going down there and sitting on a beach, mm-hmm. drinking pina coladas, scuba diving, things like that. They want these to be, uh, and our itineraries have to be pre-approved by the U.S. Department of Treasury. So they want to make sure there's not too much free time, you know, that you're actually going down there to fulfill this people-to-people program, you know, itinerary. So uh, it, it, I, I think the people are, are you know, getting even better, and the, the experiences that we're having are even better.
0: Well, I think that's one of of the strengths of what you do is that, you know, though a lot of people advertise, you know, photo workshops, yours is really, you know, about the experience of interacting with people, uh, especially, you know, like you said, uh, the locals. T- tell us a little more about that aspect of what you do, because I think that, that that's probably um, one of the things that I that appeals to me the most, because uh, I talk to a lot of people who do tours or photo workshops in different locations. But, you know, sometimes I feel that there's a disconnect between the people who are attending and the people that they're visiting and interacting with.
1: Yeah, I've I've never referred to my trips as photo workshops Um, And I started calling them photo tours, but I'm starting to even get away from that. And now referring to them as cultural tours with a focus on photography. So that photography is a part of our trips, but it's also about the food and the people and the culture and the dance and the music. Uh, Of course, we've got our cameras with with us when we're uh, having these experiences. And this was on all my trips, this is not just Cuba. Um, but to me, it's about getting my people in the right place at the right time. My trips are on average half day scheduled, half day of free time, although that's, uh, there's less free time in Cuba because of what I was talking about earlier. But uh, people that come on my trips are, are, are definitely photography enthusiasts, and I get everything from beginners to professionals that come on my trip but they just want to know that everything is set up and and in place, and we just tell them where to be when on that first and last day, and we kind of handle everything in between except for their free time, which then they can have to uh, explore on their own, put into practice the photography tips that they're learning, uh, bring a friend or a spouse who's not necessarily interested in photography, they'll fit right in during the group activities, but there's also free time to go uh, pursue their interests, uh, or just sit by the pool, sit in a cafe, watch the world go by, do whatever you want. Yeah. So that, the, and that attracts a different type of traveler. That's someone that's doesn't need their hand held, you know, the whole trip. They're comfortable with filling in that free time and they, they welcome it, they love it.
0: Well, one of the things that you're doing is that you're offering a, a course on how to, for people to make a living from uh, doing the kind of traveling that you do. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. But before before you do, one of the questions I, I've I want to have for you is that many of the locations that you that you go to where you conduct these tours are locations where you've gone to several times over. Um, but when you're considering a new location, you know what are some of the considerations that you have to do, and what are the steps you have to take in order to research and prepare to be able to conduct a, a tour in a in a new city, in a new country.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, the part that people, uh, I don't think, understand the amount of work that goes into the trip before they even show up that first time. And so I uh, will scout every destination in advance by myself with the local guide or tour operator in the destination. I'll probably do two or three times the amount of activities and experiences uh, that Uh, and maybe even stay at more hotels than we would normally stay at. So if I'm in a location for four days, I might try two different hotels just to see which one works better for the group. And, And then my job is to then kind of take all those pieces of the puzzle and put them together into a trip that, in my mind, should provide variety, so I like to, uh, we typically will fly in and out of uh, capital cities because they've got the biggest airports and are easiest to get to. But then I'll also, uh, you know, we'll explore villages and smaller cities and towns and uh, give people a variety. But it's, it's, it's also about the, the destination. This is what I look for in the scouting trip is, uh, you know, what kind of tourist infrastructure do they have? Do they have nice roads? How are the vehicles? What are the hotels like? Uh, what's the service like? Are, do uh, do people speak uh, English uh, enough to, to be able to uh, work with my guests? Sometimes that can be an issue. So uh, there's dozens and dozens of things on my list that I look for uh, in a scouting trip, you know, from, you know, uh, can you drink the water to what are the pillows like in the hotels and you know, the location and safety and all these very, very different aspects. And that's really what we go over in the, you were mentioning the course, uh, so I I decided to expand my business, and the only way that I could expand my business, because I can't lead any more trips physically, I'm just on the road too much as it is, so one way that I can expand my business, I thought, was to create a free webinar, and online course series, and it, at first, i thought of course well what do i know i know how to do travel photography so let me create one based around that well those are kind of a dime a dozen now there's so many different online uh, resources for for learning photography any any type of photography and so um i was sitting across the table from my mother who's a, a very wise woman and uh, she said you know what you're looking for the horse you're riding on
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh and i think that's such a great expression but obviously it just means that the answer's right there and you don't even know it and so what she was referring to is if there's anything i know how to do it's how to organize and lead tours and I'm often asked, you know, how can I do what you do? It looks like you're know, living the dream, which I am. But uh, there's so much more to it than people realize. And so I've put together a uh, an online course that walks people step by step through how they can organize and lead their own special interest tours. And it's not uh, just photography tours; uh, it can be any kind of special interest. So it could be yoga, food travel writing you know bicycling wellness whatever it might be you know i think when people start looking at what's in the they start thinking you know well i'm a chef i'd love to bring a group to tuscany to do a foodie tour for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. they start looking at all the logistics that are involved and i think they give up pretty quickly and i'll tell you this i wish this course was around when i started out because it would have saved me hundreds of hours and tens of thousands of dollars in mistakes that i made that now people can get around because i've made them and i'm telling them you know how they can do this themselves Uh, yeah my wife would have benefited uh, from this from
0: a trip that we took to italy some years back where we came along with about 12 or 15 people It was, it was, it was crazy. She just like, said we're going and anybody want to come? And usually a lot of people say that they want to come and and that's where it ends. Mm -hmm. But a bunch of people uh, came on board and we uh, rented a a villa that had several houses on the property and uh, it was, it was great fun. But for my wife, it was pretty uh, exhausting because logistically all of that stuff fell on her shoulders Sure. And, uh, it's it's one thing to go you know go out for yourself. It's another thing when you're having to plan and sort of set the stage for a bunch of other people, whether it's three or four, or whether it's twelve or fifteen.
1: Absolutely. and And one of the keys to what I do is working with a local tour operator in the destination. Uh, I tell a story in the free webinar about how I wanted to put together a trip to Spain. Which I had been to many times. I speak Spanish. I knew exactly where I wanted the group to go, and uh, I thought that through self and assistant, we could cobble this trip together ourselves and cut out the middleman. Well, you can imagine that you know. Number one, I had to pay her, so it did cost me money. But there was also my time. Her time, and we're dealing with like 30 different vendors.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah.
1: From, you know, four different hotels, four different guides, transportation companies, restaurants, activities, experiences. And, you know, when you work with a local tour operator, they've got all those connections. And so you just kind of deal with them, tell them exactly what you're looking for, and then they can help you put the trip together. Um, You know, that's the 30,000 foot view. It's obviously still more complicated than that, but it, it, it doesn't save any time or money to try to put these things together yourself. Hmm.
0: So how do you, you know, how do you connect with the people who end up, you know, who are the, your, your, your foots on the ground in whatever place that you are intending to, to set something up? How do you make that connection?
1: You mean with the local tour operators? Yeah,
0: yeah, especially since you know, for uh, if you've never done it before, I mean, you may have traveled to a given country for uh, you know for yourself, and you say, "Hey, okay, this is a great location where I'd like to do one of these one of these sort of tours." But like you said, you're relying on people who are are there who are familiar with the territories. But how do you make that connection and 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 choose someone that you can rely on?
1: Yeah, it's uh, uh that's that's the hard part, and I've 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 found tour operators many, many different ways. Uh, I'm to a point where the tour operators are actually contacting me, and saying, you know, I have been to your website. I see you don't do trips to Armenia. Have you considered that? And so then I'll decide, you know, if I if I'll, I'll look into it. And if that's a place that would fit into my portfolio of destinations, uh, then I'll keep pursuing it. But. Uh, I've found tour operators on LinkedIn, going to travel shows, uh, just doing Google searches, talking to tourist boards, and I'm uh, one of the major projects I'm working on this year is consolidating a whole resource that would have that information in one place. So we're working on accumulating that right now, and that would be an additional resource that we provide people that take the course
0: mm. is there a location that you that you chose that you weren't sure how it was going to pan out but then it really kind of surprised you in in a good way
1: you know uh probably romania would be way up there uh this was one of those situations where the tour operator approached us to, uh, to say you know would you like to come here and scout and see if you could bring some groups back and now I think we're on our fourth or fifth trip there with groups, and it was a destination I'd heard of. Uh, I had never been before. Uh, it interested me. I love Eastern Europe, and so when I did the scouting trip, I was just blown away. But it had all those things that I mentioned earlier: that variety, that tourist infrastructure, uh, you know, good food. Uh, I was. Uh, it's a step back in time, especially in the northern parts in Bukovina and Maramures, these northern regions where people are doing the hay harvest. So it's also very important to be timing these trips uh, when the things that you want to do are happening in the destination. So we go the, uh, around the last week of August, first couple weeks of September, when that hay harvest is Hmm. and so yeah and so you see these families out in the fields and they're using sickles and very you know sort of i don't know i call i don't know if it's the right word but sort of antiquated methods to to harvest and uh the, the the fields are so hilly and rolling there that you can't really get tractors through there and combines and things like that so everything's done manually and that's the beauty of it especially for the photography but you'll see little kids out there pretending like they're helping to uh very older uh, much older folks that have been doing it for 60 or 70 years and uh it's just, it's a, defa- it's a family affair. Uh, they, these, they're, they're losing that, they're, they've got that brain drain because this area is fairly remote. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the younger kids, the millennials are moving to the big city like Bucharest or elsewhere in Europe uh, to get those high tech jobs where they don't have to get dirty like this. But it's understood that if your family owns property, that you come back for those two weeks and help out. Hmm. So it's it's a really interesting culture. And, and the, the photographs that we've gotten have just been fantastic. It's like a step back in time, but yet you still have that modern tourist infrastructure where we're able to go back to nice hotels, got nice vehicles, you know, things like that. So,
0: Do you find that um, coordinating these things around cultural affairs like, like that, cultural events, um, is really one of the things that helps to draw people there, especially since you're going to be able to do stuff that's outside of that the touristy stuff and allow them an opportunity to really engage with people
1: oh for sure and that's what that's what i look for now i've got this seven page document that i i came up with uh i finally realized that i needed this and i call it the tour operator expectation list and so this is a seven page document that i've come up with that tells the tour operator about me and my company also asks him or her about them and their company but as important as, as important is the information that i'm looking for so what kind of hotels do we like to stay at what type of activities are we looking for what do we not want to do uh you know even and, and that's both for the scouting trip and for the group trip so you know, on the scouting trip i don't need to go see museums or every monument you know I want to get in with the people. I want to do you know have these cultural experiences. And uh, if people want to go to museums, take a cooking class, do something that's not on the itinerary, they can do that during their free time. So yeah,
0: so how do you work out you know with locations where um, they may not necessarily have English as, as a native language you know how do you sort of work it out especially with with the people that you're bringing along as you said you're not just dealing with US citizens but you're dealing with a variety of different people from different places where it may not be the shared language. How do you sort of negotiate that with respect to whatever place you're going to?
1: Yeah, and, and almost every location i go to english is not the first language um, so we always have that local guide with us who can interpret uh, teach us about the cultural aspects the do's and don'ts um, you know mannerisms things about the food so uh and, and translate for us and uh, so there's always a local guide and um and i think more and more Places, although in that you know remote part of Romania, uh, when we go and pull over and you know see a group of people working in a field, uh, chances are they probably don't speak any English. But our local guide uh, is that hmm. you know that 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 translator for us and can help us get in there, and we can ask him questions to ask them, and they will often ask him questions about us and that's just how we communicate and it works out great
0: so how has your, your photography changed over the years you know since you've had you know you've basically been able to create these amazing situations in which to, to to make images i know that you're not completely you know um dedicating all your time to your photography but i can't help but feel that uh having these opportunities has really helped to to change the way you shoot
1: yeah for sure and um i think uh you know i I have an iPhone app that I created called my shot lists for travel. And I think the first time I was on your show, we talked about Mm -hmm. it because it had just come out and it's still out there. And uh, so I'm a big proponent of working from a shot list in order to bring back a variety of images. And I've seen my photography as I go to these, uh, as the types of trips that I've organized have changed a bit and we're going to places like Cambodia, Vietnam, India, Bhutan, Morocco, Romania uh, that I'm shooting more and more people and and that's I'm often asked and, and we, I provide a lot of preliminary information before the trip to my people and you know tell them about what it's like to photograph the locals are they open to being photographed uh, do they expect some sort of a tip uh, things like that and it's a very cultural thing so in cuba the people are very open to being photographed but they expect to be tipped mm-hmm. uh, morocco the the it's really kind of a mixed bag the uh, i've gotten some great shots there in certain cities and other ones the people are very against being photographed but almost Anywhere in Morocco, they don't expect to be tipped. Cambodia, they don't expect to be tipped and are very open to being photographed. So those are the kinds of things that uh, whoever the tour organizer is, if you're going on a tour, should be telling you those things in advance. And that's the information that I'll get during the scouting trip, also from my tour operator and guides. Uh, So they help us to to understand that because obviously we want to be good citizens of the world and it's always about trying to create that, that relationship as much as you can, you know, in the five or ten minutes that you might be in a place. Mm-hmm. And that's asking questions and things like that. But uh, I, I tend to do uh, a lot of uh, candid f- photography as well, because uh, uh, when you do talk to people and you know, ask their permission, uh, you tend to get more posed type shots right. which are fine but I also like those candid shots as well.
0: You know one of the things about doing this is getting the getting the clients getting the people to sign up for the workshops. Now you have people who have done trips with you multiple times so I'm sure that uh, you get a lot of return business. But for people who are going to be starting this what are some of the ways that you 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 teach to be able to get the interest in, in those people doing, doing this on their own.
1: Right. Yeah, and it starts out slowly. Uh, right now, if, uh, last time I, I tried to calculate, we had over 42% of our clients repeat. So more than four out of 10 people on every trip will have traveled with me before and so uh, and they're bringing friends and family on more trips so that percentage is kind of creeping up but i don't want it to get to 100 percent, obviously because then my business isn't growing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i'm not getting in front of new people but um uh, i had mentioned earlier how social media has changed quite a bit so when i started out 10 years ago you know there were i don't think there were facebook ads there you know i don't know what google was doing at the time but i mean it's it's much easier, and I say that with air quotes, to uh, to market today because uh, we're all able to develop some sort of a following, wh- whether it's our friends on Facebook or if you've got a uh, a, a company company uh, page where you can get likes and you know, be able to market to those people. But uh, that's the beauty of the the internet and and social media is being able to go viral, being able to you know, get testimonials, have a nice website. And uh, so it, it takes a while, but it's about getting in front of the people that you think would be attracted to your kind of trip. And and the beauty of, of what I teach in the tour organizer training course is that you can create whatever kind of trip you want to lead. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of this. You get to be very creative and um you know what sometimes people want to create a trip to a very popular location because they they know it's popular well that probably means that there's a lot of competition and it may not be the place that you're in love with so i say create trips to places that you're in love with and that you're going to be passionate about sharing with your followers and you're going to attract like-minded people to your trip mm. and uh you know and if if you you've got that enthusiasm about the destination it's going to come across to your people
0: is there a destination that uh, you haven't done yet that uh, that brings that to mind for you
1: well uh you know i, I there's quite a few on my list that uh, so i mentioned armenia so I, I i'm planning to scout armenia this year uh, i scouted bulgaria last year portugal i I Haven't done a formal scouting trip, but I'm working on Portugal, uh, Japan. So, quite. A, I want to get down to Argentina, Uruguay, and Chile. Put together a group there, Colombia. Lots, lots of new destinations. Uh,
0: cool, cool. So, you have a webinar that you can have at the end of the month. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So, the uh, if people go to slash free webinar and I'm sure you'll put a link in the show notes, uh, they can sign up for a free webinar that as of uh, when this show is supposed to air will be January 31st at 8 PM central time in the U S and we'll be doing them about every two to four weeks. So if you miss that one, you can certainly get onto future ones, but go there um, again to organizer training.com slash free webinar and You can register for the January 31st at 8 p.m. Central. And this is uh, about an hour, hour and 15, and just uh, telling people uh, a big overview of what it's like to organize and lead tours. And then they can decide if they are interested in uh, taking the online course, which is made up of seven modules, which are based on the seven steps that I've come up with with regards to organizing a tour. And then there's 25 plus video lessons. Plus I give people the spreadsheets that I use for pricing, my expense reports, uh, all the forms that I use, um, to all different resources that people can use. All the stuff that I've had to create over the past 10 or 12 years to to run my business is included in in this course. And so it's like a, a tour company in a package. And uh, so uh, the cost of the course is nine hundred ninety seven dollars, uh, which I realize is not uh, a little amount of money. but man, if I could have spent a thousand bucks to start this business 10, twelve years ago, I would be miles and miles ahead of where I am. It's the best thousand dollars that anyone could ever spend if they want to do what I'm doing. That's cool. And they will save so much time and so much money, Uh, I am so confident that that's the best money they could ever spend if they're interested in doing this.
0: And uh, what are some of the tours that you're going to be conducting this year for people who might be interested in traveling with you?
1: Yeah, so this year I've got uh, another Cuba trip coming up in March. I've got just uh, one room left on that. And I've got a Morocco trip that's almost full. I've got a Spain trip in May, and then I'm uh, taking June and July back in the States although I may be speaking in Europe in July but then August is my Copper Canyon Mexico trip and for those folks who haven't heard of it or don't know too much about Copper Canyon is bigger and deeper than the Grand Canyon and it has one of the great train rides of the world right through it it's the only passenger train in all of Mexico And you've got the Tarahumara Indians, which is a a very interesting culture. Uh, Many of them live in caves and cliff overhangs till this day. And uh, so that uh, about four or five years ago, I did a 35 day assignment to shoot the travel images for a cookbook on the regional cuisine of Mexico. And we went to something like 40 different locations throughout the country and stayed at 15 different hotels and had 15 different inter-Mexico flights. So we were all over the country in 35 days. And the one place I said, I want to bring a group back to was Copper Canyon. Hmm. It's, it's a very safe part of Mexico in the state of Chihuahua. And it's a, an incredible experience. That's just uh, you know two, three hour flights south of us. So it's like another world. And then just briefly, I've got Romania, uh, India, and then Vietnam at the end of the year.:
0: Wow. A lot of passport stamps.
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've, uh, I've gone through one already. Uh, just in the five years I filled it up after putting in an additional 52 pages. Oh my so, God So I had to uh, so now you can actually get those pages put in to your new passport so you don't have to pay for that because I think it was $80 to get those pages. Oh man, yeah. And uh, so now I've uh, got kind of a squeaky clean passport. Can't wait to fill it up again.
0: (laughs) Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why?
1: Oh boy. Um, You know, uh, Carl Grobel. Is, uh, is a good friend of mine, and he is just an outstanding photographer that I think uh, your listeners would really enjoy seeing his photography. He he does he leads photo workshops and photo tours, and uh, he's just the, the the nicest guy and a fantastic photographer. So I would recommend Carl Grobel, K A R L G R O B L dot
0: Well, Ralph, it's always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you. Thank you so much, man. And I wish you a a very prosperous and safe uh, 2018.
1: You too, Baryonyx. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's nice to catch up with you. And uh, perhaps I'll see you in Southern California when I'm out there. Absolutely.
0: (music) Thanks to Ralph for joining us this week. Find out more about Ralph and his work by visiting photoenrichment.com. And you can show your support of the Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead people to listen to us for the very first time, and that can make all the difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to write a review today. Thanks to K.O. Sweever and David Furman for their five-star reviews. Much appreciated. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution to Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us not only to meet the cost of production, but allow us to improve our podcast, YouTube channel and website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal. You'll find the link for both on the CanderFrame Frame website or show notes. Thanks to Philip Elliott and JP Miskowski for their recent contributions. It means a lot to us. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free CanderFrame Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but But you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin MacLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbarionX. And this is IbarionX, and this is The Candid Frame.